welcome to episode 312 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on 4th of November 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. The UK might no longer be in the EU, but this Brit recently went to Brussels to talk bikes. I'm Carlton Reed, and for today's episode, I'm bringing you a bunch of interwoven interviews with Brussels-based bike advocates and green politicians. You'll be hearing from Elke van den Brand, the region city's mobility minister for Brussels, and I have an interview with Luxembourg councillor Linda Garsh, who successfully pitched an active mobility position paper to the EU's Committee of the Regions. Alison Abrahams from the Casual Cycling Club explains how she's getting more women on bikes in Brussels and Philip Amaral of the European Cyclist Federation puts the city's Good Move Circulation Plan into a wider political perspective. Philip talks about some of the violence that greeted the introduction of this so-called circulation plan and I meet Kim Smelter, who was up close and personal with some of that violence. But first, I chat with Philip Cerny, author of the European Mobility Atlas, on the rather busy Rue de la Loi. This is a multi-lane highway from the outskirts of Brussels into the centre, and it has recently been reconfigured just a little with a lane each side taken away from motorists and given to cyclists and e-scooter riders. Naturally, motorists have claimed this reallocation of road space is the reason for the road's current awful traffic jams. If you can hear us above the bothersome road noise, here I am with Philip Cerny. So Philip, we're outside all the different EU, EU buildings here, and we have, um, what, what is this road, first of all? Do you know what the road is? It's Rue de la Loire. It's uh, the main road through the, or heading through the European uh, headquarters. Uh, and they've, they've basically taken where we're standing, uh, amongst all this motor traffic, is they have taken lanes away on each, each side of the road they've taken away some space from, from motorists and given it a bit more to pedestrians and, and, and to scooter users and to cyclists. Exactly. And that's, that's uh, really helpful because uh, the commission is also... Um, the commission, the other institutions are really promoting to, to use the bicycle. Um, there, there have been uh, some uh, um, challenges that the, in between the commission and the parliament had built too many parking spaces they weren't allowed to have so many parking spaces because they expected everybody to, to take their car to, to work. Um, but people were actually voting with their feet or with their bicycles to say so because more and more people just noticed um, it's simply faster to get to work by bike. Now you've been working in this, this city for a number of years. So this traffic congestion here now isn't caused by the bike lanes. That's it, always been the... This has always been in a congested street, yeah. yes? The, it hasn't changed a, a bit. It doesn't... There's um, better infrastructure for cyclists and uh, pedestrians now, but the, the car traffic essentially is still the same. So the, the basic accusation from, from many people in many cities is when you put the bike infrastructure in, all of a sudden, that's what's causing the congestion. And, and all you've got to do is basically just run Google Maps, probably, and Google Street View, where you can actually know that congestion was there, there before. So this street was uh, congested before. They've taken away by, um, car lanes, but it's still congested. 
And uh, in my opinion, I don't think that's going to change uh, anytime soon. It's um, and, uh, unless uh, the city of Brussels is really going to enforce some stricter access regulations, um, people will, on one level or another, continue to drive uh, into the city. The mobility minister of Brussels says cars will always have a place in the city and region. But they should no longer rule. Green politician Elke van den Brandt spearheads the city's Good Move Circulation Plan. Here's the European Cyclist Federation's policy officer, Philip Amaral, to explain more. Good Move is, is, a, is a mobility plan like we've seen in many other cities and its main objectives are to um, adjust traffic circulation with the aims of um, reducing the volumes of cars and um, sort of um, ensuring that some neighborhoods within the city um, have lower car speeds, lower volumes, um, are more protective of people walking and cycling, um, decrease pollution, um, and encourage more people to take public transport, to bike, you know, to replace their car journeys. And, you know, cycling is part of the mix of that and walking is part of the mix of that. The goal of this mobility plan, it's not about transport. It's not about transporting people from place A to B or transporting goods. It is actually about quality of life and the quality of public space in Brussels. That's Mobility Minister Elke van der Brandt speaking. We talked in her office on the 13th floor of the Botanic Tower, an office block overlooking not just the city's botanical gardens, but most of the rest of Brussels. And if you want to do something about quality of life in Brussels and making the city more attractive for visitors and people living here and people working here, then we need to change our mobility habits because we have about 70% of public space that's taken up by cars, either parking space or car lanes. So if you want to have more place for children to play, for elderly people to just sit on a bench for um, putting some trees because climate change is real, is here. If we want uh, our, our cafes to have better terraces, if, if, if we just want to have quality of life in the public space, we need to talk about the, the, the occupation about cars and we need to change that. And so we need to change the habits of, mobili of mobility. So if people start moving around differently, we can gain a lot of space. And that's the main idea of this mobility plan is on how can we make sure that we get people out of the car into, on, onto a bike, on their foot, uh, on public transport, um, in shared mobility, all the other alternatives exist. How can we make this model shift to gain space and to make Brussels more attractive? Good Move was started by Elke's predecessor. And of course, it went out to public consultation. A, a public inquiry and about 80% of the people who participated agreed on the goals um, and also the... the because all the communes, Brussels is very complicated, mm -hmm. we have a region and then communes, so we have a lot of political levels who need to agree on something before you can put steps. And so we have 19 communes and they all agreed on this plan. So the plan is approved. Every political party has on some political level agreed on the plan and that's an important element. Good Move is uh, the big mobility plan. So you have 15 measurements, it's about uh, transport of goods, it's about bicycle lanes, it's about uh, low traffic neighbourhoods, it's about a lot of things, but then you have also the low traffic neighbourhoods which are also called Good Move and there's, um, well we should think about it, there's a bit of confusion about it, and so these are for large um, impact depending on the communes, but for the most things, even if we if you want a bicycle network, um, we have regional roads, we have local roads, so we, you always need to work together in Brussels. And it's sometimes frustrating, but sometimes it's also, um, it, it forces you to, 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 to negotiate and to, to, to find solutions. So it is, um, it is sometimes difficult, but it is the way Brussels works. We should change that, but as long as we haven't changed our institutional uh, organization, it's the way you need to work. Um, and so the no, low neighborhoods, uh, low traffic neighborhoods um, are also called good move. So we divided Brussels in 30 um, areas. And in each area, we want to have a circulation plan with a goal that uh, the, the local traffic can still go in and out, but the transit is put on the um, structure, the, the main axis. 
Um, so that's the basic idea so that everybody can still get home or go out. But sometimes you will need to do a little detour. But to de-encourage all the people just passing through because they want to gain one or two minutes, they want to avoid the traffic lights. No, we really want to make sure that the traffic, the main traffic is put on the main roads who are conceived for it, who can support it. And so in the neighborhoods, we want low traffic, slow traffic and a lot of place for other things than cars. And what about that common accusation that bike lanes and other parts of a circulation plan increase, perhaps even create congestion? Well, Elke gives that very short shrift. Brussels has been the most congested city for decades. And it's true that people tend to forget that even before we start taking measurements, you had traffic jams. They're not new. And we do calculate them. They've been quite stable for over the years. So if we do nothing, they will stay there. So it is, it is changing habits. And there's a lot of people um, who took that somehow for granted. Even people who don't drive their cars and... That's a mentality shift that changed about 10 years ago or 15 years ago with um, the Pietronais, so the, the historical center of Brussels. There was this uh, reclaimed street action where people were picnicking on the street. And the idea of picnicking on the street was it's a gentle action. It's nice on a Sunday, but in the middle of a road. In the middle of the road, but the road was in the middle of the historical heart of Brussels. So who is bothering who? You could pose the question. It's really strong action. Lots of people came, families, children, and it became such an important signal that politics had to follow. It was a non-political action um, and politics had to follow. So they, um, they made those roads where at the heart of the center, they said, okay, I'm going to make them car free. And then it became, for now, it's the biggest pedestrian area, I think of Europe even. So it's a huge pedestrian area um, and nobody wants to go back. And that's, that's the first time that people didn't take for granted the fact that our city seems to be organized to host cars, to come here to work and to get out in the evening. So to realize that we can make this city for people who live here, who work here, who want to stay after work, who want to come and visit us. So that's an important mind shift. Um, but still the congestion, if, if now that's the heart of us, it was the same debate, it was 10 years ago, the same debate. And now we, we have the same debates like, yes, but you're increasing traffic. We have the data, it's not true. Um, the traffic is caused by cars, not by bicycles. Um, I often say that if, uh, for example, on the Rue de la Loire, which is a very emblematic road before the European institutions, you had four car lanes, we just took one, which is not so radical, and gave it to the cyclists because they had to share the space with pedestrians before. And there was a lot of conflict between pedestrians and bicycles. So we took one, we gave it to, um, to uh, cyclists. And the main communication was these are your allies because everybody who is on that cycle lane is not in with you in the traffic jam. They're not picking your parking spot when you arrive. They're, they're your best allies. So give them some space and, and it will help you also. You'll have more fluid traffic. And we took the, we were following the measurements and yes, there's still congestion Rue de la Loire and it will be still there after everything's gone. But the time loss is not significant. Although there is a lot of bicycle increase on the bicycle lane, it's even too small for the moment. So data shows that whenever we put infrastructure in place, um, alternatives in place, they're being used. Um, but it's the perception, of course, is you're talking about mobility and then they notice this incredible traffic jam that used to be there, but then they make one and one. And that's, um, you need to continuously explain um, and you need to also give it time. I think some of the measurements they're difficult. For the moment we're putting in place those low traffic neighborhoods, it is difficult because people need to change their habits. It's day-to-day -day habits. It's not just, you don't have to buy something once in a lifetime. No, it's every day you need to change the way you, you're driving home or, or going home. So you touch people in their daily habits. So it is impactful, even though you could say, yeah, well, we have to do a little detour, but for people it's every day they're confronted with change. And so that's really difficult. Um, and it had, was the same with the pedestrian area. And beginning is difficult, but now nobody wants to go back. And I'm sure that once the circulation plan is well installed, once we've been able to do the infrastructure works to make it permanent, then people will really feel the benefit and there won't be a call to go back. But um, So you need to go through this phase where, you, where people adapt. And you need to be, I think, patient and, and grateful to people to do this effort. But then afterwards, you can show the results. But not everybody cares to be patient. There have been protests against Good Move. Here's Philip Armoral again. 
In some parts of Brussels, I think notably in the commune of Anderlecht, uh, there's been really violent uh, opposition at some local council meetings lately, um, where people have used violent language, um, physical abuse, um, from a minority of people, I have to say. I mean, it doesn't look like to be a popular uprising in Anderlecht, but it's a very vocal minority. So I'm Kim Smouter, uh, I live in Curigam, and I also, on a day-to-day -day job to pay my rent, uh, I, pay, uh, I work for the European Network Against Racism. Kim is also a bicycle advocate, and he witnessed Anderlecht's bike lash up close. I think there were fists. Well, <laughs> well, there were fists exchanged at the last uh, town council. Yeah, um, I guess we're having in Anderlecht, I guess, the very, very symbolic fight in the symbolic fight between kind of cars versus other forms of transportation. Uh, there was a circulation plan which was implemented, which is a regional plan actually. So the whole it's of Brussels, good move. the whole, whole of good move, the whole, whole of good move. Yeah. And essentially, Kyrgyzstan, which is a, a neighborhood which is known for being a quite a poor neighborhood uh, with a very difficult history, with local authority in particular. Um, was essentially chosen as one of the symbolic places where this was supposed to be implemented and, and a kind of a proof of concept for, for the whole plan. Um, and what happened essentially is that the plan was implemented during the middle of the summer. Um, this, and this, this summer just gone? This summer just gone. Yeah. And essentially it involved, well, the implementation of the plan involved changing a lot of streets' directions. So some directions, some streets which have always been one direction went another direction. Some streets which were very common through fairs or bypass fairs uh, were suddenly blocked with cement blocks and those types of things. In, in Kirigim, they've actually dropped the plan. So basically the entire circulation plan was removed with, uh, with essentially the commitment from, from the Green Socialist majority that they're going uh, to go back to zero, they're going to reconsult the entire neighborhood and they're going to put a new circulation plan in place instead. Uh, whatever that looks like, that's a big question mark. So that was um, successful then. So, so people shouting and maybe throwing fists. That yes. was that worked. That worked, yeah. And and bullying inside the town council. So like even even I I had an interpolation, which is kind of a, a concept within the, the local authority where you can go to the council and say your piece. In essence, I didn't have a formal response from either the majority or the opposition. And even during my statement, I had people who were against kind of literally coming up to me and interrupting my speech and asking me how long I'm going to take and those types of things. And the council members were just happy to say, well, please don't do that. It's not very respectful. And that was it. So, so yeah, so you're really in a situation where actually, yeah, bullying works. Uh, the more you shout works. Uh, and that enables you to remove an entire plan. And now we have no idea where we're going. So, yeah. That bullying appears to work worries the mobility minister it was um it was not a happy moment eh? so it did it does feel it doesn't feel good it's it's um and so we had a lot of discussions to learn about this episode and it's true that it never got the chance to be really tested it's from day one there was um people uh, demolishing the, the 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 road signs there were some furniture made, some nice banks to, to, to close down the roads. They were demolished, so we had to put in place concrete blocks, which are not so sexy, but because everything else was demolished. So from day one, it was sabotaged. And I think it, was a, it is a problem that police didn't um, defend the measurements. So it is about um, of control. If you put something in place, you need to control it, handhaving. So it was not enforced, so that's... The first step, so the, the plan itself never really got tested. We had a difficult time, the moment was implemented, the first week, a lot of protests. But in the end, people um, do see the advantages and do realize that we have it on data, so we, we, we tackle everything with data, so we can show that travel time has not augmented. So the time you get from one place to another is not augmented, because instead of going up to 50 and then going back to zero to get at a red light, you now go to 30, so the, the curve is a little bit slower, but your travel time does not increase, which is an important element because the biggest critic like taxi men and taxi women say we will have lose half of our clients because we can't travel and the, 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 the fire people will get too late, all those things. So we, we monitor it, you can show no, there's no loss in time. In the nearby city of Ghent, the deputy mayor, another Green, got death threats when he introduced the city circulation plan. So... Does Elke Vandenbrand 
inspire the same sort of ill will? Um, we do have, have the same thing, eh? the death threats and the, 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 the aggressive Facebook groups and we, we can play the bingo, we, we, we've, but I've, in Paris they have the same, it's, it's, it is, and even in Amsterdam, which is also often seen as the big uh, example, they were just a few decades ahead of us, but they had the same aspect. So it is because you're touching something daily that touches everybody. Everybody's concerned when you talk about mobility. So yes, it's, it gets a lot of reaction. Um, and I think in Brussels, um, I think one element that's also important is we're now working in a period we we're getting out of COVID. There's an energy crisis. People see their uh, bills getting up. So it is a difficult time uh, for all governments to be accepted as, as uh, an acting um, actor in their city. So it's uh, there's a lot of protest. People want to have have a lot of problems so it's like no, don't don't put something extra on, on the pile of, of the crisis we have now we need also need to change our mobility so it is on the time climate on the one hand I think it's you have people say it's more than ever necessary because the climate crisis is real with COVID we realized how much public space was important this energy crisis is not directly linked to mobility but then again the, the car fuels are getting up so the alternatives need to be accessible and attractive so it is a t the right time to do so, but it feels for a lot of people like, oh, even and, and that on top of it. So that, that feeling, I think we cannot underestimate. Um, then there's, the, uh, a, there's been protests that were really violent. So the deputy mayor was being, well, she had police escorts and everything. So it was really, really violent. And so it was, um, I think the reaction to the violence has not been adequate. And so that's something that I think is, it's problematic because then you kind of ex you, you kind of tolerate this, and it it is something that will be reproduced elsewhere. I'm quite certain of it. So that's one thing. On the other hand, um, there was real contestation. It was not the easiest neighborhood to put in place this measurement, but it's one of neighborhoods where it's the most needed because it is, like I said, it's about public space, and these are neighborhoods where. People are really uh, living with many people in small houses where there's not a not uh, many public space, not a lot of green, need of, of playgrounds and everything. So the need of more and better public space is really great. Um, but these are also neighborhoods where people have questions about security. There's drug traffic in front of the street. They're afraid that their children will get in contact with the drug dealer. There's housing problems, there's work issues, there's employment issues. So if you talk to those people, they're saying, yes, okay, we can, we can perhaps hear what you, you want to do with mobility, but we have all these other issues, and where's the government on that? And so the fact that the last decades there's been an underinvestment and there's not been adequate answers um, also made it really difficult to go and talk about mobility because it was only about mobility. And that's also a bit of frustrating, I'm saying to my colleagues, well, you you all need to step up now because I cannot work in a context where, where it's only about mobility. You need to make sure that we have better housing programs, that we have better employment programs, that police is doing the job, that we tackle drug traffic. So all these things need to be tackled be because otherwise people do feel abandoned. And I don't want you to feel I'm abandoning you, but we'll be right back after this message from my colleague David about our sponsor. Hey everyone, this is David from the Fredcast and the Spokesman, and I'm here once again to tell you about our amazing sponsor, Turn Bicycles, at www.turnbicycles.com. T-E-R-N bicycles.com. Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. Speaking of, of being able to ride every day, as a Spokesman listener, I'm going to bet that you are the go-to consultant for your friends who want to ride but aren't enthusiasts and need some advice on what to buy. In that case, you may have people in your life for whom you just haven't been able to recommend just the right bike, considering their stature, age, mobility issues, or just plain hesitance to get back on a bike. Finally, those family members and friends can experience a new bike day with the all-new turn NBD. Get it? New Bike Day NBD. Okay, the NBD has been specifically designed to be confidently easy to handle and easy to ride, even 
Well, even for those folks who might be, as Josh Hahn, team captain of Turn Bicycles says, are smaller in size and have a hard time finding a bike that fits, or older riders who might not have ridden a bike in a while, or riders who might have balance or physical issues, or riders who are just intimidated by the sheer size and weight of the average e-bike. As Josh goes on to say, the NBD will be refreshingly easy to hop aboard and ride. Now, how can Josh be so confident in that? Well, it's simple. The NBD has the lowest, longest step-through opening of any premium e-bike. So if you know someone with a knee or a hip injury or, or somebody who just can't lift their leg over the top tube of a regular bike, this alone could make all the difference. Plus, the NBD is designed with an ultra-low center of gravity and a longer wheelbase. And what does that mean? Well, it means that it makes it easy to balance and handle. And with a lowered bottom bracket and motor, the NBD is stable for all riders. It particularly inspires confidence for shorter cyclists because they can easily get their feet on the ground when they come to a stop. But the MBD isn't just for shorter riders. As a matter of fact, it adjusts in seconds, without tools, by the way, to fit riders from 4 foot 10 to 6 foot 3 or 147 to 190 centimeters. The NBD is also super comfortable with its upright riding position, swept handlebars, suspension seat post, and wide 20-inch balloon tires. Need to load the NBD into a car? No problem. It folds flat in seconds. How about getting it in, in, into a smaller living space? No sweat. The NBD includes Turn's vertical parking features so you can roll the bike into a small elevator and park it in a corner of your apartment. Now, with a max gross vehicle weight of 140 kilos, that's 308 pounds, the NBD can easily carry an extra passenger and plenty of cargo. With up to 27 kilos on the rear rack and up to 20 kilos on the front rack. And in fact, it works with a wide range of turn accessories and with most child seats. As I've said before, and this is important to me, really important, safety is a core value at turn. And that's why the NBD frame and fork have been rigorously tested by one of Europe's leading bike test labs. That's also why Turn chooses to use the Bosch motor and battery system. It's one of the few systems on the market that meets and passes the UL standard for battery and electronics safety. Read the news and you know how important that is. Now the NBD comes in two models with prices starting at $3,899 or €3,999 and bikes are going to start arriving in stores in Q1 of 2023. For more information about the NBD or any of Turn's wide range of bikes, just head on over to turnbicycles.com. Again, T-E-R-N bicycles.com. We thank Turn for their sponsorship of the Spokesman Podcast, and we thank you for your support of Turn. Once again, thanks for allowing me this brief introduction, everybody. And now let's get back to Carlton and the Spokesman. Thanks, David. And now it's back to Brussels, the city and the region's mobility minister, Elke van den Brand, is at the sharp end of reshaping urban mobility. But decisions made in a different part of Brussels can have huge implications across the EU. Brussels is the capital of the European Union, home to the European Commission and the most important part of the European Parliament. In a moment, I'll introduce the Committee of the Regions, which is the EU's Assembly of Regional and Local Representatives, also based in Brussels. But first, here's Philip Amorel again, explaining a potentially big move on cycling earlier this year by the European Commission. What happened at the end of of June in Copenhagen, just at the start of the Tour de France, uh, was a few things. One is um, the executive vice president of the commission, Franz Timmermans, um, gave a speech where he endorsed an initiative by a French MEP, Karim Adeli, to have a European cycling declaration, an inter-institutional declaration of some sort like that, something to show how important cycling is for Europe, um, something to help it grow, uh, from a policy perspective and provide support from an industry perspective as well. 
just before that speech, I think the day before, Karim Adeli was at an event in Lyon, France, um, called Connecting Europe Days, um, which was about the Trans Europe Transport Network, TNT. Um, and she sort of teased this announcement already. And then um, I think at that event in Copenhagen, she also joined uh, via video link to endorse this as well. So that caused a big to-do in the cycling advocacy mobility community. Because it was a surprise or uh, where they went was a surprise? Yeah, it's, um, well, um, a bit of a surprise and a bit of not. And I say a bit not because, I mean, we've seen good progress from the side of the commission towards cycling over the years. I mean, the way we look at it is that in the EU's smart and sustainable mobility strategy from 2021, they included cycling in there as part of that mix, um, a rather low part compared with other modes of transport, but it's there. And then we see the urban mobility frameworks, EU's urban policy come out in December last year, a much stronger um, nod to walking and cycling and train trips. Um, and the idea is to you know, require cities in Europe to create mobility plans where they feature cycling. So all of that was quite good. And even some of the legislative proposals for the 10T regulation or for bicycle parking and other policies seemed good. So we started to notice this positive trend, um, which was different from 2016 or 2017 when ECF, before I joined, was lobbying hard with many others for an EU cycling strategy uh, where ECF had produced, you know, really thick one. And that didn't go nowhere. And I think times were really quite different. And the reality has changed on the ground now. People are buying bikes, they're riding them all around Europe. Cities are just building infrastructure, you know, not waiting for the EU. Paris is the obvious example, but I mean in Brussels as well um, and elsewhere. Um, so in that sense, it's not a surprise the Commission is moving in that direction, but I think what continues to surprise us is the <clears throat> sort of the strategic ambition, at least the what's being voiced in, in speeches uh, at events. Now, what's important is that the speeches are backed by hard policy moves, stuff we see on paper. So since then, uh, yeah, we've been in touch with Delhi's office to... Um, uh, discuss a potential cycling resolution that might come out in the parliament later this year and we're in talks with the commission to see well what can we make uh, you know of this good announcement and Franz Timmermans you know his his rhetoric has been on cycling has been quite good at the Velo City conference uh, in Lisbon for example he gave a really good video uh, talk where he said a lot of the same things I mean he's a supporter of cycling so I think from his position, he's trying to see how we can grow cycling in Europe from a policy perspective. Of course, you know, the Commission isn't an easy institution to move in any one direction. Um, so I would, you know, I would say we're all quite optimistic about what could happen. But, you know, like anything, EU level requires quite a grind. Quite a grind and not always joined up, partly because cycling infrastructure isn't considered to be internationally significant. It's devolved down to regions and cities rather than always being considered of strategic importance. Philip Amaral again. It goes both ways. At the same point the EU would say, well, you know, one of the main principles that we operate on is the principle of subsidiarity. So, you know, what doesn't fall within our competence, you know, it falls within the competence of the national governments and then the municipalities and the rest of it. And and I think up until recently, that's been the overriding argument when it's come to cycling at that level. It's like, well, you know, we have, we have our EU funds, which goes to national governments, then which they disperse and, you know, benefit cities in a way. And if cities are wanting to build infrastructure for cycling, that's great. Do it. And, and you know, we'll, we'll clap our hands. Um, I think that's changing a little bit. I think the, uh, the Commission's urban mobility framework where their original framework from 2013 just didn't get anywhere, didn't really achieve any of the objectives, didn't lower pollution, didn't improve safety, didn't improve congestion levels in cities, um, didn't really improve mobility at all because it was just a voluntary thing. Um, 
now for at least the 400 plus cities that they designate as urban nodes, so cities that have more than 100,000 people, and they'll have to develop these sustainable urban mobility plans, and these plans need to have a number of things. I mean, one of them is to improve active travel, cycling, walking, and they need to be able to benchmark that. And that's going to be linked to EU funding. And so there's some partial conditionality there. So this is for us a signal, you know, that the EU is seeing this more from its continental EU perspective. But I think you're right. The more cities show up and just start acting, that's an indication to the EU that um, it needs to get aboard the, you know, that train, that bicycle bus. Um, at the same time, though, what, what we wouldn't want the EU to say is, well, this is great, this is happening in cities, and we'll just continue like we're doing, and more power to you. <clears throat> the problem that we see throughout Europe is there are lots of great things, but then there are just lots of things that aren't so great. There's infrastructure that's being built that's not great, you know, not an efficient way to use public money. Um, there are cities that are going the other way and not focusing on active travel instead on car travel. There are cycling strategies and mobility strategies that are written differently, different benchmarks. So it's really hard to compare what's happening and to have a common benchmark, set of benchmarks. Because in the end, the EU will need to cut road transport emissions by 90% if it's going to meet European Green Deal goals. And obviously more cycling in cities is one good way to do that. But in order to really use that potential, the EU is going to need a way of saying, right, you know, we're going to need X amount of infrastructure built all across Europe. It's going to need to be, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred or more kilometers of infrastructure. We're going to make three billion available for that and a special fund or we'll use what existing funds for that. Mm. And here's how you should be building that cycling infrastructure. We've created some guidance with the commission is actually supposed to do. Um, and here is how you evaluate how good that is, you know, how your local mobility plan should evaluate how it's reducing emissions, improving road safety. So then you have this comparable data and that the commission can use to then decide how much more policy support do we give, how is it achieving our Green Deal goals, etc. So this is why we, Europe, on a European scale, we need a common strategy. We need that policy drive and not just leave it to subsidiarity and let the cities do it because then it will just be you know a handful or more of good initiatives but sporadic and not really achieving collectively what's needed and mm. that would be a shame for the EU to miss that one. And here's where the committee of the regions comes in. The committee of regions is important because it gives a voice to that group which is quite politically influential um, Although it's, it's in Brussels, it's in the same neighborhood as all the EU institutions, but it's a bit apart. So, um, you know, they're not producing legislation that has a very direct impact on things that involve us, you know, for example, the 10T regulation, energy performance of buildings directive about bike parking, you know, and all that. And they're not involved in the same way as the European Commission funding streams and all of that. But... If we want more cycling to happen at a city or regional level, I mean, they're really important to have. They're the ones who decide to spend the EU funds or even they're the ones who should know that such funds exist and that you can be taking advantage. I was in Brussels talking to people like Philip, Elke and Kim to report on a mobility-focused position paper drafted by Linda Gash, a green politician from Luxembourg. This paper, it's known as an opinion was formally adopted by the EU's Committee of the Regions. Gash was chosen to be a Committee of the Regions Rapporteur for Mobility at the beginning of the year. A Rapporteur is an appointee tasked with reporting on a specialist subject. Her opinion called for improved cycling networks and for the EU to develop emission-free and affordable urban transport systems. I met her in one of the EU buildings the day after the successful adoption of her opinion. 
First, uh, I, I'm really happy that it passed, and I'm really happy of that we got a lot of good language through, because it really shows that cities and regions are ready for the mobility transition. The, I would say 95% of it uh, is exactly what I wanted. There are a few minor things where the wording that was adopted wouldn't be exactly the one I would have preferred, but it's also not damaging the report as a whole, and it's not um, questioning the main message of the report. The report was adopted, and it sends a clear message, so this is a really good step. But um, it's also just the beginning, because cities and regions, of course, want to be um, instrumental in shaping the mobility of tomorrow. Mobility is made in cities for citizens. So um, the report now will be sent back to the different uh, institutions. And then uh, my job is also to make them aware what is written in the report. So I will make sure to meet different representatives of different institutions and also really promote the message written in the report. Because in a way, with the adoption of the report, the members have also given me a clear mandate to promote this uh, position of cities and regions. Transport is an area that, um, that is super interesting for Greens, as in it has a lot of potential to decarbonize. And it, there is also, if we talk about transport in cities, there is also really something that has to do with the vision of how the, the city of tomorrow should look like. The, that it should be a livable city, that it should be a city where you have space to, to walk, to, to, I don't know, let your kids play. The, um, so, yeah, it's, it's, of course, very much also, I would say, in the green uh, identity to, to, to be wanting to do this shift in the transport sector. Um, the politicians not even only mayors and locally elected, but generally green politicians that I follow who have uh, worked a lot on transport, I think their key of success is mainly to really try to involve all the actors. Because what you said about like the green stereotype of transport, and then of course they will do a lot of things for the bicycles, it's very real, I say, I'd say. But... Um, at the same time, Greens generally are also uh, really trying to get the consensus and um, have different actors involved. So the places where um, drastic changes in mobility patterns of cities have worked well is usually because all the actors were consulted. Of course, not all of them were happy at first, Humans are quite resistant to change, and if you think that somebody takes something away from you, it's, um, it's you're, you're first going to oppose it. But mainly it has worked, and uh, if it works for people, if, for example, you take cars out of a city center and all the shops that are there were telling you, we're afraid that we won't have clients anymore, we won't have customers anymore, and then you take the cars out of the city center and the shop owners see that people who come to their shop, the number of people who come to their shop has actually increased because people who walk are slower and they pass by the shop and they look at the window and they get interested. So then they see the positive change that it makes. And then, um, of course, their opposition is, um, is not existing anymore. So I think this is, you need politicians that can do bold decisions, but at the same time try to get everyone on board. And then if people see on the ground what the positive effect is, I think they don't want to go back. My name is Alison Abrahams and I'm one of the co-founders of Casual Cycling Club, which is a women's cycling club in Brussels, which encourages women and trans and non-binary people to cycle for fun. So we started Casual Cycling Club to attract women who didn't cycle. So we thought it would just be for people who really maybe had a bike in their garage or in, the, you know, in their cellar and they didn't really use it and we wanted to introduce them to cycling. What we've since discovered is that actually so many more women than that want to cycle in the club setting and we get women who are very experienced, we get women who have been cycling every day for years to get to and from work but they don't cycle for fun 
and I've had long had the impression that cycling for fun seems to be a male preserve. You go, you go out into the countryside on a weekend for rides, and you only really see men cycling in groups together. And that always struck me as such a shame because I love cycling for fun, for health, for you know chatting to my friends. And so we wanted uh, to encourage more women to do that. And so while we started out with this one small group of women who only had city bikes or big, you know, uh, heavy bikes, now we have three different speeds of women who join our different groups on different days of the week. So yeah, it's been it's been a really big success, and I think we're really proud of it. I mean, I came for work originally and just loved it i really i really love living in this city i think it's great and there's a real it's a small enough city that if i cannot get somewhere within half an hour by bike i consider if it's worth going or not <laughs> like i look at my friends in london and i think no no i couldn't do that <laughs> brussels is just small and manageable and there's a great like i said it's an incredibly international city there's lots of interesting things happening we are in parks and conteneur which is uh one of the many parks in brussels um and we're in the middle of the running track actually with people running all around us and a man doing keepy uppies and also it, it seems to be surrounded by some pretty nice cycleways so uh Avenue de la Renaissance is just to our left here, and that looked like a nice site. Does that continue? Where, so, where does that go to? Is that famous for being a nice and the rest isn't nice? Like much of Brussels in the last few years, this has been quite transformed. So in the last few years, suddenly bike parking spots popped up all over this park. And I remember coming in and saying to the park keepers, what are these doing here? I've wanted these for years. And they said, yeah, yeah, we've had a request in with the administration for years and we finally just got them approved. And now, you know, you can see they're really well used. And the bike lanes all around here. So this, we're in the EU quarter of Brussels and um, this is quite a sort of, in, you could almost say like sort of site, it's not officially one, but it's almost like a cycle superhighway. Like people go from here out to the suburbs of Brussels, so towards Overijse, Heulard, Leuven even. Um, and there's a kind of direct line from here that goes all the way out of the city. There are a few, you might say, loose links mm -hmm. on the way. Um, just up here, there's a crossing that's not ideal and there's a part of pavement that's shared use with pedestrians. But in general, this is, yeah, it's nothing like it used to be. It's way better. So given the fact that you are trying to bring new people into cycling with, mm -hmm. with your casual cycling club, do you recognise that, that absolutely puts people off? If you get one little part of a chain isn't linked up, that will make the whole of the rest of the network null and void. Yes. For, for people who are maybe you're trying to, to attract. Absolutely. You know, something that we do with Casual Cycling Club is that we say to women who've never joined us before, we can come and literally pick you up from your house and bring you to the start of the ride. Because for some people, that is absolutely a barrier to them cycling in the city. And I think I heard Elke van der Brandt, who's the Minister for Mobility in the region, said recently, you know, a cycle infrastructure is only as strong as its weakest link. And I couldn't agree more that for me, I have a lovely bike lane to get to work, but to get onto that bike lane, I have to use the kind of defensive cycling that you spoke about. I have to cycle in a street, which is one way for cars, but bi-directional for bikes. And I'm coming up against these enormous vehicles who are, you know, driving well beyond the speed limit. And yeah i i feel fine i feel completely safe and i feel absolutely confident to do that but i've been cycling here for over 10 years and that's not the case for everybody elke van der Rand has done really an excellent job like i i have to give her full credit for that she's working in what is sometimes a very hostile environment to cycling and there are political parties in, in brussels who bemuse me in their opposition to what should be very so common and right and it's like the center well it's like the, yes what the liberals really who kind of set out their stall on this sort of anti-mobility agenda um but 
I think that one thing that everybody knows is is missing is the kind of it's the smaller streets. So while you know the big axe, you call them the grand axe, you know, that cut through and across and around the city, cycling infrastructure on those has vastly improved. But there are areas which often very residential where the small streets nothing has changed really and I think that's kind of the next step in order to really get people onto their bikes. Elke van der Brand wants good move to transform how people get around Brussels but I asked Philip Amaral will the city the city home to the EU ever become as bicycle friendly as Amsterdam? I don't know if it would be Amsterdam, but I do think it would be really close. Um, I think the momentum is there. Um, I think what we're seeing now is, you know, the um, the inevitable conflicts that arise when you know something new is is coming on, new plan. But as long as the political leaders here stick with the plan, <clears throat> and as long as they're able to convince people from other political parties to support the plan and then the things get built because that's really important just get the money build it people adapt when they (laughs) see things on the street Uh, nice infrastructure nice cycling paths wide sidewalks good public transport service Um, and then it will just be you know the past will be something that you think about like wow Thanks to all those who took the time to talk to me in Brussels. And thanks to you for listening to episode 312 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. Show 313 is audio from Le Blanc Ibiza. And we'll be with you real soon. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.